Hi, I'm Robert Jeffress, and I'm glad to serve as your Bible teacher every day on this great radio station on today's edition of Pathway to Victory. Many people, even Christians, have fallen for the myth that heaven is going to be a place of perpetual boredom populated by boring people, and nothing could be further from the truth. Today, as we continue our series, A Place Called Heaven, we're going to attempt to answer the question, what will we do in heaven? Welcome to Pathway to Victory with author and pastor, Dr. Robert Jeffress. The Bible teaches that heaven will be a paradise where all believers will live forever in the presence of God. Yet, a lot of Christians are almost dreading their future in heaven because they're worried that heaven's going to be boring. Today on Pathway to Victory, Dr. Robert Jeffress reveals what our eternal home will really be like. Now, here's our Bible teacher to introduce today's message. Dr. Jeffress? Thanks, David, and welcome again to Pathway to Victory. If you want to expose the fallacy of major religious beliefs, it's important to study their convictions about eternity. Some of the notions about life after death are quite shocking, and Christians have an entirely different belief about heaven. I've written a brochure that clearly shows you how biblical beliefs about heaven differ from religions like Mormonism, Buddhism, and Hinduism. The brochure is called What Seven World Religions Teach About Heaven, and I'm pleased to send you a copy as my gift to you when you request it from ptv.org. And then, just before we begin today's message, I'll remind you that I've written an inspirational gift book called Encouragement from a Place Called Heaven. This book is different than my original book on heaven, A Place Called Heaven. Looking back on the past few years, I think you'll agree that the convergence of multiple crises made our heads spin. In some ways, reading the daily news became a slog. Well, I'm convinced that our entire perspective will be transformed when we spend a couple of minutes reflecting on our eternal reward. Please reach out to us today and request a copy of the gift book, Encouragement from a Place Called Heaven. A padded, hardbound copy is yours when you give a generous gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory. After you're finished reading my book, I'm sure you'll think of someone who's suffering through a season of loss. This book is a perfect gift for them. I'll say more about my book and other opportunities later on. But right now it's time to address another question in our series, A Place Called Heaven. I titled today's message, What Will We Do in Heaven? At a dinner party, guests were discussing the subject of heaven and hell. But Sam remained unusually quiet. The dinner hostess, not wanting him to feel left out, said, Sam, do you have any thoughts about heaven and hell? Sam said, I try to offer no opinion when it comes to heaven or hell because I have friends in both places. Samuel, Sam, was Samuel Clemens, whom we know as Mark Twain. Mark Twain had many things and observations about the subject of heaven and hell. In fact, in one speech, Twain joked, and in a comment that seems very appropriate today, Twain said, this election makes me think of a story of a man who was dying. 
He had only two minutes to live, so he sent for a clergyman and asked him, where is the best place to go, heaven or hell? So the ministers told him that each place had its advantages. Heaven for the climate, hell for the company. <laughs> now, you know, such a tongue-in-cheek comment is built upon a lie that many people have embraced about heaven. Many people, even Christians, have fallen for the myth that heaven is going to be a place of perpetual boredom populated by boring people, and nothing could be further from the truth. Today, as we continue our series, A Place Called Heaven, we're going to attempt to answer the question, what will we do in heaven? Have you ever wondered about that? That's what we're going to talk about today. Science fiction writer and atheist Isaac Asimov said, I don't believe in the afterlife, so I don't have to spend my whole life fearing hell or fearing heaven even more. For whatever the tortures of hell, I think the boredom of heaven would be even worse. Is heaven going to be a boring place? Well, people who believe that do so because they have embraced three popular myths about God, heaven, and eternity. Let's look at those myths for just a moment and see what the scripture says. First of all, some people believe that God is a cosmic killjoy. If you wanna know how exciting God is, just look around you at everything that God has created. Everything we live in and watch is good, beautiful, enjoyable, refreshing, fascinating, and exciting because it's a created by someone who is all of those things. A second myth people have about heaven is that heaven will be monotonous. You know, the fact is, no matter how good something is, we get bored with it after a while, don't we? So we think even as good as heaven is, if we do the same thing over and over and over again, it has to be boring. But the truth is, monotony doesn't have to be tedious and boring. G.K. Chesterton explained why. I want you to listen to this. This was such a great insight. He said, a child kicks his legs rhythmically through excess, not absence of life. Because children have abounding vitality, because they are in spirit fierce and free, therefore they want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again. And the grown-up person does it again until he's nearly dead. <laughs> For grown-up people are not strong enough to exult in monotony. But perhaps God is strong enough to exult in monotony. It is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun. And every evening, do it again to the moon. It may be that God has the eternal appetite of infancy. For we have sinned and grown old, and our father is younger than we are. Isn't that an interesting thought? The only reason things seem monotonous to us is because we live in bodies that grow tired, but in heaven we'll have none of those limitations. We'll be like children saying to the father, do it again, dad, do it again. A third myth people have about heaven, and the reason they think it is boring is they believe heaven is going to be one long and unending church service. <laughs> I mean, let's be honest, the idea of Heaven being one long church service is a yawn fest for most of us. 
Worship will be a central activity in heaven, but it won't be our only activity in heaven. You know, the Garden of Eden is a template for what the new heaven and the new earth is going to be like. God placed Adam and Eve in the garden before they sinned, and God said, you're going to have perfect fellowship with me, but you're not going to sit around and worship me all the time. I've also given you work to do. In fact, he said in Genesis 2, 8 and verse 15, you are to cultivate the garden and keep it. There were two primary activities in heaven, worshiping, but also working. And the same is going to be true for us. Oh, no, pastor, please tell me it's not so. We're going to be working in heaven. I'm looking forward to floating around on that cloud, plucking the harp. You're telling me we're really going to work in heaven? Now, before you rebel at that idea, follow with me on a couple of things. And I think you're going to feel a lot better about this when we're finished. You know, many people believe that work is a curse from God, that it was a punishment for man's sin against God. That's not true. Genesis 2.15 takes place before the fall in Genesis 3. In his original form, man was created to work. Now, it's true, after the sin of Genesis 3, work became harder for us. It became more tedious. But work itself has never been a curse. It is a privilege God has given us because we are created in his image. You're saying, wait a minute, Pastor, working for an eternity? That sounds more like hell than heaven to me. I want you to think about your job right now. What is it that makes it unpleasant? I would imagine it would be, well, I just get so tired. We all get tired, don't we? Or maybe it's a strained relationship you have with a coworker or with your boss. Or maybe it is the government regulations that just seem to keep piling up that make your work harder and harder and harder. The reason our work is hard is because we live in a sin-infected world. But in Revelation 22, 3, it says in the new heaven and new earth, the curse of sin will be removed. In heaven, we'll be able to perform our work in bodies that never grow tired. We'll never have strained relationships. We'll have perfect relationships. We won't be overburdened with regulations. We won't be fighting against an uncooperative environment. All of those things will be removed and we'll experience the work that God intended us for us to enjoy. What is it? that we'll be doing? What will our work entail? Two words I want you to write down. First of all, our work of cultivating. That is taking what God has created and making it even better. For example, cherries are good. Cherry pie is very good. We all like avocados, but we really like guacamole salad, don't we? I mean, that's part of cultivating, taking what God is giving and improving upon it. But there will also be a work of creating. That is, as human beings, God has given us the ability to create something out of nothing. Some people will write books. Other people may produce music. Other people may produce movies. There's no telling how God will use our creativity in heaven. Now, I said that our work in heaven will be an extension, possibly, of our work here on earth. How do you know what your life work should be, both on earth and in heaven? My friend Bob Beale has a great question you ought to ask and answer for yourself sometime. Bob says, if money and education were not a factor and you could do anything in the world you wanted to do knowing you wouldn't fail, what would you do? 
Isn't that a thought-provoking question? That goes a long way in determining what God's life work is for you. And by the way, it's built on scripture. Philippians 2.13 says, God is the one who is at work within you, giving you the will and the power to achieve his purpose. No, God's will for our vocation is the intersection of our passions and our skills. That's what Paul is saying. God's working it in you, giving you both the will, that is the desire, and the ability to achieve his purpose. Yes, we'll be worshiping God, we'll be working, but there's one other aspect that some people will be doing in heaven, and that is ruling and reigning with God. Some people are created to rule over the new heaven and the new earth. That was God's plan for Adam and Eve. Remember in Genesis 1:26, he said, let us make man in our own likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and over the cattle and all of the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Adam and Eve were created to be co-regents with God on planet earth. Now, because of sin, they had to abdicate their rule. But in the new heaven and new earth, you and I will be co-rulers with God. Revelation 22 verse 5 says, we will reign with him forever and ever. Now, that brings up two questions. First of all, who exactly will be reigning with God? Obviously, everybody's not going to be reigning or there'd be nobody to reign over. So who will be reigning with God? To be one of those who rule and reign with Christ uh, involves three criteria. First of all, you will need to have the desire to rule. Only those who have a desire to rule will rule. Secondly, there has to be an ability. Romans 12 says one of the spiritual gifts is the gift of leadership, to be able to organize. But thirdly, and this is all important, faithfulness is a criterion for leadership in God's kingdom. You can have the desire and even the ability to rule, but you also have to have a track record of faithfulness to God. We don't have time to look at the parable today. We'll look at it in Luke 19 when we get there. But remember the, Jesus, the parable Jesus told about the minas. And the point of the parable is how we handle the time, the treasure, the opportunities God has given us here on earth will determine what responsibility we have in all eternity. The second question besides who will reign is what does ruling and reigning involve? What does it mean we're going to rule with Christ? There are two aspects of that. First of all, judging. Part of ruling and reigning with Christ involves judging. In 1 Corinthians 6, remember the Corinthians were fussing and fighting with one another. They couldn't come to an agreement and Paul says it shouldn't be this way. He says in verse two, do you not know that the saints will judge the world? One day, Christians will judge the world. That word judge, crino, means to render a verdict. And while there's no evidence that you and I will be judging other people in the new heaven and new earth, the Bible is clear we're gonna be judging angels. Verse three says, do you not know that we shall judge the angels? Right now, Psalm 8 says God has created man lower than the angels. But in the new heaven and earth, that will be reversed and we'll be judging angels. A second aspect of ruling and reigning is governing. 
governing. That is, there will be parts of God's creation that some of us will govern. In 2 Timothy 2.12, Paul says, if we endure with him, we shall also reign with him. Yes, in heaven, we'll have work to do, but it's not gonna be work all the time. There's also gonna be some fun in heaven. And um, let me just suggest to you what I call three perks of heaven, three permanent perks of heaven. We'll be worshiping, we'll be working, but we're gonna be having the time of our lives as well. You know, the Bible suggests at least three benefits of being in heaven. First of all, it'll be a time of enjoying other believers, enjoying other believers. Do you realize God made us where we need other people to be truly fulfilled? Remember God said to Adam, it's not good for you to be alone. I've always thought that was interesting. Adam wasn't alone. He had a perfect relationship with God that hadn't been tainted by sin. But God said, as good as our relationship is, it's not enough. You need somebody else. That's why he made Eve. God made us in such a way that we need fellowship with other human beings. And in heaven, we're going to enjoy that in a way we've never experienced on earth. And just think about in heaven, how fascinating it's going to be, not just to talk with the friends we have right now, but to sit down and talk to your grandparents, your great-grandparents who are in heaven and learn more about your family. Or just think what it's going to be like to sit down and listen to the saints of old and be riveted by their stories, to hear Noah tell about what it was like on that ark for a year as the flood descended over the earth. Or to listen to the children of Israel talk about what it was like escaping Pharaoh and his chariots and parting through the Red Sea. Just think about listening to David describe his miraculous victory over the giant Goliath. Or the disciples tell about what it was like that first Easter morning when they ran to the tomb and saw that it was empty. Can you imagine what it would be like to sit down and listen to D.L. Moody or Billy Graham describe what it was like to preach before thousands? I mean, that's what we're going to be doing in heaven, enjoying fellowship, perfect fellowship with one another. Secondly, heaven will be a time of learning more about God. Yes, it's true. The prophet Habakkuk promised that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of God. But have you ever wondered how that knowledge will come? I mean, when we die, is there a sudden information dump into our brains where we know everything about God when we're in heaven? Maybe that happens, but I doubt it. And here's why. Think about your most important relationships here on earth. Hasn't part of the enjoyment of that relationship been learning more about that person over a period of time rather than learning everything at once? There's a joy of discovery. You know, I think about the first time I met Amy. We were 12 years old. She was sitting in front of me at Miss Denny's math class. And I only knew one thing about Amy. She was the prettiest girl I had ever seen. That's all I knew about her. But believe me, I wanted to know more. And so we started passing notes back and forth in class. Got in lots of trouble for passing these notes. But through those notes, we learned more about each other. I've spent 50 years getting to know Amy. And guess what? I don't know everything about her. But there's a lot more to discover. And the whole process has been an exhilarating one. It's going to be the same way in our relationship with God. I think we're going to have all eternity to get to know God. And that's how we'll increase in our knowledge of the God. We'll get to know him better and better and better. 
Thirdly, in heaven will be a time of experiencing real rest. We've already seen in heaven, we're not floating on a cloud somewhere. God will have us engaged in meaningful work. But that doesn't mean that's all we're going to do. You know, with the Israelites, God set aside a day of rest. And then he set aside certain weeks and certain months. And sometimes there is a year of rest as well. I think we'll experience the same thing in heaven. In Revelation 14, verse 13, John was commanded to write these words. Look at them. And I, John, heard a voice from heaven saying, write this down. Blessed, literally happy, are the dead who die in the Lord from now on, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow with them. What does he mean? Blessed are those who die, that they may rest. I mean, to me, that sounds so boring, resting. I hated it as a kid when my parents would make me take a nap. I just hated that. Is that what heaven is? Is that what he's talking about? Resting from our labors? Do we just go to sleep some eternal nap? No. The key is understanding that word labors. The word labors, kapos, refers to the persecution of living in this world. The people John is talking about are those who were martyred during the tribulation for their faith. And he said, blessed are those who die for their faith. Happy are those because in heaven, they will be free. They will rest from the persecution they've experienced in this world. But I think the kind of rest you and I are going to experience goes beyond the cessation of persecution. The rest we're going to experience in heaven is that occasional respite we even experience here on earth when we've finished a big job. Have you ever had a big project to finish And once you're finished, you say, it's over. It's over. I finished. But what I've done is not just good, it's very good. To be satisfied with what God has allowed you to accomplish. I think that's what it's going to be like in heaven. There'll be those times that we rest from our labors. Those times that we're able to have true satisfaction in a job well done. And it's that rest that reminds us that as important as our work is here and will be in heaven, there's more to life than working. Heaven will be a time of enjoying perfect fellowship with one another and that perfect relationship with God we've always longed for. That's what we will be doing in that place called heaven. Aren't you ready to go? I am. Let's just load up right now. What do you say? Not quite yet, but soon. God has a great, indescribable future planned for those who love Him. As a result of this series on A Place Called Heaven, we're gaining a much better picture of our eternal home. And now I'm inviting you to take your next steps in gaining a deeper understanding of heaven. First, I want to send you an exclusive book from Pathway to Victory. It's titled Encouragement from a Place Called Heaven. This padded hardcover gift book was written especially to those who might be suffering through a painful time of loss. This gift book is filled with inspirational Bible verses, wisdom, and my book also includes breathtaking pictures as well. And today, when you give a generous gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory, I'm going to send the book to your home. In fact, when you respond right now, I'll also include a companion tool we've prepared for you. 
It's a convenient brochure that explains what seven world religions teach about heaven. It clearly shows you how the biblical view of heaven differs from religions like Mormonism, Buddhism, and Hinduism. Yes, your gift is what's required to receive these helpful materials, but the best part is this. Your generous gift is applied to directly reaching people who need to hear God's truth. Recently, I received an encouraging note from Clay. He wrote, Pastor Jeffress, I was raised in the church, but in my youth drifted away because I felt disconnected. Not long ago, my wife introduced me to Pathway to Victory, and your teaching has made a huge difference in my spiritual walk. In fact, today, I'm serving as a deacon and on the board of my local church. You see, when you financially give to Pathway to Victory, you're making an investment in men and women like Clay, and God's truth is transforming lives. Now, here's David to tell you more. Thanks, Dr. Jeffress. When you support the ministry of Pathway to Victory by giving a generous gift, you're invited to request your copy of the gift book from Dr. Jeffress called Encouragement from a Place Called Heaven. Plus, you'll also receive the brochure about what seven world religions teach about heaven. To request your copy, call 866-999-2965 or visit online at ptv.org. Now, when you give $75 or more, you'll also receive the CD and DVD teaching sets for A Place Called Heaven, plus the original best-selling book by that same title. To request the complete package of resources, call 866-999-2965 or visit ptv.org. If you'd prefer to contact us by mail, write to P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. Again, that's P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. I'm David J. Mullins, inviting you to join us again next time when we continue our series, A Place Called Heaven, with a message titled, Who Will Be in Heaven? That's Wednesday, here on Pathway to Victory. Pathway to Victory with Dr. Robert Jeffress comes from the pulpit of the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas.